The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. This is Maya in London with Arun in Hong Kong, thanks to the miracle of technology. And um, this is our news roundup of what's been happening on Planet PR over the last few weeks and it's been pretty busy. Um, uh, Arun, let's start with the next 15 chisel, the measure of Byte and Text 100 as Omer steps down. You wrote a really great analysis on this. What's your take on the situation there? Um, thanks Maya, hi everyone. Um... Yeah, Byte and Tex 100, the, I think there were, there were three elements to this story, um, or maybe four. So the first is that it's another merger. And mm. I think we are rapidly, I wouldn't say we have merger fatigue over at the Holmes Report. <laughs> Not quite. Um, because it's always good to write about mergers. It gets, us, um, it gets people interested. Um, but it's clearly a pattern, you know, and, mm. and a trend that we're seeing. That's the first thing. The second thing I think is that it's by and text. I don't think there's any surprise about those two firms coming together, um, particularly after they merged their operations in Europe uh, mm. and Asia back in, I think it was 2014. Um, it's the other two elements that were surprising here. The first being that um, Emma Hines is stepping down, uh, yeah. you know, after... I always get the numbers wrong <laughs> and I haven't got them in front Some of me. But I think it's something like 28 years. Is that right? With I Hang on a second. What did we say? I, th I think it's 20, 28, 28 yeah. years, including 18 as CEO. That's right. So, and she really did embody, she does embody the Text 100 brand. And it's quite a singular brand in many ways. It's got a very unique culture, which is really, I think, kind of, um, flows directly from Aimer. Um, people mm. really love working for her. And for her to step down, I thought was, was a surprise given all of the work she's done uh, in recent years to, to reposition text and indeed to, you know, to kind of broaden texts uh, offering via um, the acquisitions of some other agencies in London, which kind of gives us a neat segue into the, the other element here that was surprising, which was that the merged entity will not carry text's name, which I think people probably thought was, was the obvious choice. Yeah. Um, and instead we'll have a whole new name. I don't, I don't think, you know, if it, I think Byte's name, you know, Byte's really only in uh, a couple of offices. So that would have been a real surprise. But I think most people would have thought text's name, especially after they've kind of bulked up in the last couple of years. So that was a surprise. Um, mm. I, I'm, I'm, I've never liked the name text 100. Ooh, uh, you're taking shots already. <laughs> I think it, I think it's quite exciting. I guess it's a balance between taking what's best from the legacy brands and then creating something fresh and new. I mean, it's, I don't know if what whatever happens, it's likely to be greater than the sum of its parts. I would have thought. I'm not sure whether keeping text. Yeah, done I think it anyway. you're right. I think you're right. I think um, Tim Dyson has the next 15 CEO has calculated that the costs of legacy. Um, outweigh the benefits of stability. So, i.e., if you if you really want to transform a couple of brands, agency brands that are, if we're being honest, best known for being B two B tech PR brands, and, and you know mm -hmm. that kind of positioning doesn't necessarily um, represent the most progressive kind of ideal in the market. Um, so, if um, you really want to reposition that, then maybe you do need a whole new brand. Um, and what's next for Ama? do you think? Does she have something else up her sleeve? Well, first of all, I don't think it's a surprise in a way that she has left, given that the Tex 100 brand is going to be no more. And I'd love to know what happened first. Um, but, and, I, and I'm sure we will find out in the kind of weeks and months to come. Um, mm. Ama is, is very highly rated in the market. Uh, she's always been someone that I think uh, has toyed with the idea of perhaps seeing whether the grass is greener outside mm. of the, the kind of carefully cultivated garden that she's created at, at Tex 100. Um, 
she has her role at Arthur Page. Yes. Which certainly doesn't hurt her profile in the industry. Um, and she is, of course, um, clearly she's got many, many uh, more years left in this game. So um, I think there will be, there'll be several acts and, and she, she, she won't be short of options. Another um, carefully cultivated garden coming up, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe, um, maybe, maybe she would prefer it to not be a garden. Okay, this is getting a bit philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, um, maybe let's maybe a canyon to... or, or <laughs> canyon. an adventure park, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, okay, well, um, let's move on to the Nike thing, the Colin Copernic ad. One of the images of the year already being used as a slide at a PR conference near you if every every I'm, I'm already tired of seeing it in every dispatch from every pr conference and i say that knowing full well that our own we are going to use that day right in two weeks <laughs> i have a thing we'll be seeing um colin's face up on the screen a lot yeah, um, but, it's a, it, yeah. It, diana did a great analysis talking about the whole purpose v product thing and but also asking what nike is going to do next it's not just about dropping one ad and going well we were um we're we're uh, we're being very right on here guys how do you mm. think nike did with that and what what happens now um i think you're right in that i think diana analyzed it really well and in fact found an angle that i think most people had overlooked which is that yes nike did a great thing um, no question, they, they behaved uh, authentically for how mm. Nike has, has always behaved, I think, um, around these kinds of issues. But is it just going to be an ad? Um, or are they going to do more around the whole movement um, mm. of Black Lives Matter? Uh, and that would, that would kind of be my question. We discussed this on stage at the Asia Pacific Innovation Summit. Oh, yeah. Um, and the, the panelists, I put the same question you've put to me to, to our panelists, um, who were, let's say, probably more what you'd call kind of hardcore communications types. And they sort of said the same thing. It was a, it was a nice start and definitely the kind of thing Nike would and should do. But is this where it stops? I mean, I, I, I don't know what you think about that. I don't know. I guess it's the difference between. I mean, it's that it, it's the difference between paid and earned again, isn't it? Really, mm. you know, they've, they've done they've done the ad creative. It's clearly commensurate with their values as a brand, but it's about how they roll that out into into a proper, sustained, earned, meaningful campaign that 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 means it it carries on feeling. Uh, like it's going to make a difference in some way to to behavior or opinion or, or and not just our own reputation so um i don't know i mean that's it's too easy to tell I and mean, if, if everyone's still using the slide in a year and, and nike have done nothing else then it's i think that would be a bit weird but we'll have to see it would be weird but it would not necessarily be surprising no <laughs> it would be right? weird. It would, I mean you know. A wasted opportunity, let's say. Yeah. But I, I don't know. They've got a smart, they've got a smart team there. So, um, you know, they know what they're doing. So we'll right. see. But well, one of the other things that Diana touched on, which I thought was really clever, um, was also, you know, Nike's faced its own issues in recent times. Um, yeah. You know, Thank about you. its own behavior in terms of uh, sexual harassment. It's always had lingering issues around its supply chain, like many um, apparel companies do. And so, you know, Nike's under pressure, like every company, to walk mm. the walk and not just talk the talk. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the, uh, that's the key. But I, I won't stop buying Nikes, if that's what you're asking. You're never going to stop buying trainers. How many pairs have you got now? No, it's an addiction. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to disclose that kind of information on in the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a Melvin Marcos levels of trainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Imelda Marcos levels of corruption. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good to know. We'll talk about that offline. The yeah. corruption bit. Um, so um, I just would let's just briefly beginning of September. It was a year since the demise of the mighty Bell Pottinger, mm. which seems like 
it was a very weird time. It seems like yesterday, and it was like, oh God, was that a year ago? But it also seems like a million years ago. It almost seems like a different era in PR in which that happened. Yeah. Um, bit of a cautionary tale. I did my analysis. Yeah, very good analysis. Thank very you. Sobering, I, mean, I thought your analysis. Sobering, or it was sober. almost like the morning after, <laughs> one year later. What it did, is. What it's like the hangover, the hangover, yeah. the sobering up. Yeah. Um, Post Bell Pottinger. I mean, it's it's in our premium section, so it's paid for, folks. But it's worth every penny. Obviously, I spoke to James Henderson and Tim Bell. Talked about mm-hmm. the impact on the industry. Has it really made any difference? And uh, I don't know. Lots of initiatives. Lots of ethics chat. Uh, lots of navel gazing about how ethical are we? But uh, you know, well, again, that's it. We're very much still even a year on in a bit of a wait and see situation there. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it shone a spotlight on a really unsavory part of the industry. Um, yeah, and the question is, has that spotlight helped? Will it help? And I'm I'm still not sure about that. I, you know, to be honest, most of the people I speak to would, you know, when I ask this question, have, have said that they don't think the whole scandal was good for the PR industry because it just kind of reaffirmed in the sort of general public's eyes that, that PR is synonymous with, with bad actors like, like the, the Bell Pottinger people responsible f- for this, um, this behavior. Yeah. Um, I, it's tricky, isn't it? Because yeah. you get the, you get the bad headlines or mm-hmm. like loads of headlines that uh, put PR in a bad light. Uh, and then nobody sees, you know, the general public, the readers of the FT probably aren't reading the small print of the Helsinki Declaration and uh, how often this is now being discussed in the industry. So it's actually, even if things are changing on the ground in terms of um, tightening up processes and policies and procedures within agencies, that's never going to make a headline anywhere. So, you know, the Bell Pottinger thing is always going to be linked, it's always going to be a bad news story as yeah. far as the public concern so there's there's that tension there between it kind of doesn't matter what PR does to clear up its its act um mm. so yeah tricky one maybe it should yeah. it should rebrand well I want to talk to you about this because there's like this comes up at this this is forever coming up oh right? it comes up I mean it is it is the signal at which I stop paying attention I'll be yeah, completely well, honest <laughs> hey it, it yes but do pay attention okay I'll try um, I have a, the whole let's not call ourselves PR thing. Mm. Um, I think we're going to have, and you know, Ogilvy have ditched PR altogether in their name. I think we're going to have a bit of a backlash against that. I think we're going to see agencies reclaiming public relations. Um, and, and Sorry, what did you re- say? I'm gonna th- I think we're going to, oh, agencies right. reclaim yeah. the term public relations. Have yeah. you really literally tuned out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. It's like, no, this is what we do, and we do it well, and it's it's all about earned, and it's all about storytelling, and it's all about relationships. So, um, you know, I think the whole rebranding PR thing. John uh, at um, Golin pointed out actually mm. at the PRCA conference. He was wearing an yeah. "I love PR" T-shirt. Yeah, I um, heart PR. showing off his oh his very like impressive physique these days. John Hughes, you say. may say that I couldn't possibly comment. Yeah, no, um, he's been putting in a lot of work. <laughs> but he pointed out that if you search for the term PR agency, you get two million results in Google. Not Google. It <laughs> <laughs> just rebranded Google. And yeah. if you search for integrated communications agency as a term, you get like seventy-nine thousand results, which is you know about as, nothing. So. Um, uh, and John Saunders at Fleischman Howard said last week at the Eco Conference, he's, he's happy to be a PR guy. He thinks PR is where it should be. Um, mm. So I don't know. I think we're going to. Uh, I think we need to kind of reclaim public relations as a term, and then I want to stop talking about it. <laughs> no, you, you make a really good point. In fact, I spoke to John about this earlier in the year, and he was talking about how Golan is going to is, is is sort of tinkering with its positioning around that. Um, I think I, I talked about this with people like. Richard Edelman and, and Rob Flaherty beforehand, who've never really um, discarded the, the PR terminology, Harold Burson as well. Of course, Paul Holmes, probably the mm. biggest fan of the, of the phrase PR in the kind of 
in the sort of known world. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we'll every two or three years write a, a very well argued analysis as to why public relations is the best way to describe public mm. relations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, my, my point is I find the arguments, the back and forths a little bit, um, I don't want to say pedantic, but just a bit of a distraction from what's actually happening uh, on the ground. I, I do think some of it is also down to publicly held agencies trying to define themselves versus their own competition within their holding groups. Mm. So, you know, they're really keen to now, I think, to call themselves PR because everyone's calling themselves integrated marketing. I think on the client side, it's always been a struggle. The, the phrase PR, it's seen as publicity and not as grown up. Yeah. So that's kind of where it's come from. Um, but, you know, one thing I will say is there will be no shortage of people who will say that we have moved beyond PR. Yeah, it's just going to go on forever, isn't yeah. it? The... Yeah. And, it, you know, once, and you know, it, I mean, using PR as a verb, as a noun, I mean, it's just really never underestimate this industry's ability to shoot itself in the foot. <laughs> Yes, no, absolutely. And we, we love them all the more for it. Um, and yeah. talking about uh, definitions of PR, it looks like um, there was this big vote this week from the British Association of Professional Political Consultants that's voted to merge with the Public Relations and Communications Association, which we know and love as the PRCA, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, there's loads of trade associations, right? So for me, this is kind of inevitable and predictable, but there was, there was quite a heated I think a heated debate is probably an understatement. Mm -hmm. why, why, what's the difference between public relations standards and public affairs standards? I mean, why, why, would, they, why would they be separate? Shouldn't um, they be held to the same high standards? You tell me. I mean, to be honest with you, I have not followed this story that, that much because I think it is quite a Westminster-focused affair. Um, yeah, it's very bubble. It's, it's very Westminster bubble. Yeah, APPC and PRCA. But, I th you tell me what what was the objection to to the um, the merger? Well, I think it's I think it boils down to public affairs kind of being a special case um, and lobbyists uh, being a different sort of practitioner uh, and requiring a different kind of set of standards. So I don't I think the I think the I think the resistance was partly to do with the kind of a, a perception that I'd be watering watering down that in some way if they were just part of a uh, a broader trade association but then they're going to set up this thing called the uh, a new public affairs board with very stringent standards so you know it may well do the opposite and make sure everybody's kind of stepping up a bit further i mean it's all it's all self-regulatory in the end and the lobbying register mm. is kind of yeah it's not real really, regulations it's not really regulation so yeah. um i you know i think i think that the fuss will die down and they'll just crack on because it, it doesn't make any sense to me that the two things are separate yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think you're right. The fuss will die down. I guess there's probably um, an element of lobbyists or public affairs professionals who would like to think that they are perhaps a more evolved form of animal than the mere public relations pro. Yeah. Um, and, you know, would like to keep themselves separate because of that. Uh, I don't think that's a particularly strong argument, I think. Um, it's you know I think the PRC has already does so much work in terms of of lobbyists and PA professionals, um, and probably is a much more powerful organisation. So it kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. That's a really glib analysis. I don't want to um, I don't want to underplay the concerns that the APPC may have had, but it did kind of look to me like a bit of a landslide. I don't I don't know. Was that not the case? I think it was, what was it, 57%? It wasn't landslide. Bigger than Brexit, then. Bigger than Brexit, which is our benchmark for... <laughs> yeah. For any kind, of, any kind of seismic political change. It's, uh... Yeah, bigger than Brexit. So, yeah, it's, it's official, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, there's been loads of people moves in the industry. Fallout from the BCW merger continues, although it's yeah. finally got its new brand identity, which is very, very green. Yeah, very green. 
Alan Van Dwolen quipped at the Eco Conference that one of his predictions for next year is that BCW is going to have to start issuing sunglasses so its logo can be viewed safely because wow. it's luminous. Yeah, more um, shots. He's <laughs> always to be relied upon to, mm. uh, to uh, yes, a shot. So Stephen Day's gone to FTI. Um, there's some new public affairs and tech MDs in the States. David Gordon's leaving Canada to go to a cannabis company, apparently. Um, mm. So yeah, there's, there's still a lot of moves out of and from that kind of big melting pot. Yeah, and there were, there were tons over the summer as well. I mean, there were so many senior client moves yeah. in the US in particular over the summer. Um, and I'd love to say I could tell you why we're seeing all these moves. I mean, I think we know in terms of the agency mergers, there's always fallout from that. Mm. Um, I think in terms of corporates, there's been a certain a sort of a merry-go-round in the US because when one person moves, it just sort of kind of sometimes cr triggers this chain reaction. Yeah, like um, domino. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people moving. I, I doubt it will slow down. Um, I think we'll, we'll continue to see uh, a lot of movement, um, you know, a lot of acquisition as well. I just think it's yeah. quite a fluid time for the industry in general. And Mark Reed's been confirmed into Sir Martin Sorrell's old job at WPP. He's obviously speaking up Provoke in Washington, D.C., our big global summit in yeah. a couple of weeks. Martin Sorrell is, not Mark Reed. Yeah, Mark, not right. Martin Sorrell. What's he going to what's he, he, he be talking to Paul about on stage? Future acquisition plans. That's intriguing. Um, I mean, knowing Martin, he will he will talk about anything, right? He'll take any question, um, except, of course, one particular set of questions. Um, but I suspect he'll talk about his new venture, um, what he's looking to accomplish, where public relations slash earned media fits in within that, you know, maybe what he's learned. Probably there'll be a few subliminal, a few subliminal uh, shots at WPP. Uh, and you know it'll be box office i suspect you know martin always gives good copy he does always give good copy yeah that is that is true um i wonder who I, I i just have a feeling he's going to start trying to pick more stuff off from wpp i i, I don't think i don't mm. think that's finished. i don't think he's done with his rowenge against wpp <laughs> no I think you yeah I think probably not I think well he doesn't have a non compete so <laughs> nothing yeah. nothing is stopping him uh we shall see wonder if he'll try and buy bcw that would be fun that could be quite expensive um mm. he's got some cash there behind him does, yeah i mean that would be a, a big a very big price tag maybe he'll he will target certain people within bcw um, that might be a more realistic goal for him. Um, but it will be interesting to see what he does, if he does anything with PR. Um, because he's got a mixed record with, with PR agencies oh. in general. Um, and, it, you know, I'm kind of interested to see what he says next week uh, about yeah. whether, you know, he is going to invest in public relations. Yeah, that will be fascinating. And he's part of a, a cracking lineup. We've got PNG Chief Brand Officer mm. Mark Pritchard's opening the conference on the first day. Um, Richard Edelman's chairing our independent agencies panel. And we've got, we've got some really cool, like, non-PR guests. We've got this senator, Mark Warner, who's vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. He's going to be talking about fake news. So that will be absolutely fascinating, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and then we've, we've got, got the from the Washington Post. Um, yes, yep, CEO and uh, executive editor. Marty Barron and Frederick yeah. Fred Ryan. Marty March. Barron of Spotlight fame. Um, so that's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's fascinating. We've got India's uh, leading transgender activist as well on stage. Um, we've got some big names, of course, in marketing and corporate worlds. Yeah, it's, it's probably our strongest lineup yet i think year seven is looking good and the move to dc has has i think really helped yeah i think so too I yeah, so there'll be a lot of a lot of content coming out much of it written by you maya i think i'm going to be writing an awful lot of content yes yeah, in intense few days but i'm i'm looking forward to it it'd be great um team homes all in one place for the first time i know <laughs> That'll be mind-blowing. 
<laughs> it's going to blow everyone's mind. We're really all in will. the same pond. Yeah. Um, it doesn't happen very often. It's like often. a weed now, Team Holmes. It grows, <laughs> grows. I don't know about a weed. There's definitely a horticultural theme here, what with Amos tended manicure garden. And, Didn't you work and, on them um, horticultural weekly at one point? I did. I did. I was the deputy editor of Horticulture did, Week. Um, did you get any good scoops? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're kind of, yeah, it's, well, you know, it, it's, it's a different world. It's a different yeah. world. There was less pressure on scoops, really. There you go, mm. from landscapers and, uh, and growers, but there you go. Mm. Um, it does yeah, well, I learn everything I know <laughs> at Haymarket oh. Marketing. Didn't we As all? Didn't we all? Didn't, didn't we all? We all. Um, I wanted to tell you about. I wanted to tell you about the eco conference I went to last week. Oh yeah, how was that? It looked um, pretty interesting. It was, it was good. My panel with Global Women in PR was obviously the best thing. But, obviously, um, followed closely obviously, by your other panel. <laughs> by my other panel on smart data, I am now yeah. just. A panel moderator for hire, I think. But um, Barry Rafferty was really inspiring. There was this oh, cool. really interesting unplanned juxtaposition team. John Saunders at Flushing Hillard, followed immediately by Barbara Bates at Hotwire. So he was arguing for the networks, and she was just then. And here's the strength of the midsize, and they were just right. kind of another. Which is everyone's like, was that deliberate? But I, I don't think it was. It was just yeah. serendipitous. And yeah. I met um, Jonna Burke, who's the new Barry Legator at Amec, our new measurement queen. She's great. I think she's yep. going to be doing stuff in the measurement world. She knows her stuff. Mm. It's great fun. Uh, Alan, again, Van der Molen, bullish as ever about the industry getting its swagger back. Mm. Um, Not sure I'd share in his Well, bullish. it's a good word. I think though. Alan Van der Molen has got his swagger back. He's got so much swagger. I think we can agree, we can agree on that. Um, Does anyone have more swagger? You also had a really interesting sweater with kind of diamond patterns yeah, on it. Yeah, I saw that on the picture. I mean, I didn't want to bring it up, but um, yeah. Yeah, it. It, was, it was kind of like the elephant in the room. No one mentioned it. Oh, wow. Well, it's a good thing you're not talking about it on a podcast listening to I know, I know. That's just people. enough, right? Nobody. Um, but I was, there were was some real insights into the Irish market, which, you know, Dublin is one of those names that pops up if Brexit ever does happen as kind of, you know, a plan B or an outpost. As, for, for a lot of agencies, are, are, are mooting Dublin as a, as a base. It's obviously quite a small market at the moment. Yeah. Um, I to David Kine about the global social impact work they're doing. At They've Dublin. done really well, Kine. I they think. have, and I think there's there's more to come there, and they're definitely definitely one to watch. Yeah. And then um, uh, Anne Marie Curran at Drury Portinovelli, who it's a really emotional little chat about how she led the company through the hideous Irish recession in 2010 in her first job as MD. I'm especially a child, and she's kind of uh, just really uh, doubled down on on leading, really leading that company out of recession, which was really really inspiring, really really human management, mm. and it. it it was, um, we must look more at this about what it takes psychologically to be a leader now through tough times. I mean, a recession is in extremis, but you know, things aren't easy for anybody. Um, and there's yeah. going to be more turbulence ahead, obviously. So that's, that'd be a really interesting thing to look at in more detail, I think. And, and what about the Irish dancing? I observed rather than participated. Okay, um, and who did you observe? Could you, is there, could you perhaps, is there a ranking or some sort of a... What goes on in uh, at the eco conference in Dublin stays. I'm not sure Dublin. it does really. Not, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this is a golden a golden opportunity <laughs> you're missing here. No, I, I I won't embarrass anybody. There was not a single tweet without a picture of a pint of Guinness in it, though. It was it was a very Dublin event. So um, yeah, it was good fun. Um, Praxis looks good as well as well as our. Um, oh, Praxis is amazing, really. It's, um, you know, 650 people wow. uh, in Hyderabad, which is not, you know, a big PR centre. So everyone's come in from somewhere else, pretty much, uh, including people from around the world. I did uh, one session with the global SVP of comms at Dell, Stella Lowe, who'd flown in, come in from Boston. There were people there from Seattle, from LA, from New York. Um, I did another session with uh, some agency heads, it's, just, it's an amazing, you know, year seven as well. Kind of interesting. It launched the same year as, as Provoke. Um, and just remarkable and real credit to the tireless efforts 
of the non-profit behind that event, um, mm. Amit Prabhu and his team. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was a really good, I thought it was a really good event, actually. I mean, I think it's very young as well, which I, I really think always helps. Um, what you mean because, in terms of attendance? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it gives it a very di different atmosphere. Um, and certainly on the sessions that I moderated, I was very keen that we, you know, talked about things that were of interest to the younger people in the room. Whereas at yeah. many conferences, I think we do talk about the kind of issues at the top of the industry and, yes. and, and it is, it does skew a little more, uh, a little yeah, older. Yeah, we're all guilty of that. A load of middle-aged people chatting about yeah. the problems of middle-aged people running agencies. Oh, gosh, this sounds really yeah. depressing. <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting but it's, yeah it's great that it's it sounded like a really good event a practice sounds like a really good event um what no. else is there i've got one last thing on the agenda today before we go about our relative days mm -hmm. um there's loads of research studies out at the moment like too almost too much loads of agencies are doing like really solid huge bits of thought leadership on brand perception, purpose, what what makes consumers buy brands and not buy brands. We had Wee's brand and motion study. Edelman have just got another thing out. Fleischmann and Hillard have two. Webersham have done another iteration of the CEO activism research. I don't know how useful is all this thought leadership stuff. I mean, it's interesting, and it's always you know it's a story for us, and it's it's you know it's always an interesting read, but how useful is it in new business terms i wonder why i mean why do they do it well i think they do it for new business for marketing uh, which always makes me question the rigor of the research um and as someone who's who's received you know you can't even count the number of research studies from pr agencies that i've received over the years i think the rigor by and large is a little questionable with a lot of these studies not the ones you've just mentioned by the way those are all big ticket research studies. Yeah. So I think, you know, th there's been an improvement in the quality of research. But I'm always a little dubious about research studies that conclude with the final finding or, or the banner finding that buying public relations is probably a good thing. Yeah, that's your answer. To because, this yeah, that's the <laughs> answer to finding <laughs> X. I would love to see a study that concludes that actually, no, you don't need to hire PR agencies. That That's would be not going to happen on our watch, is it? Uh, well, I, I mean, if, if we ever saw a study like that, you know, that would be interesting. That's not to say there isn't a lot of interesting things that come out of this research, notably, you know, the Edelman Trust Barometer. But, you know, I think Paul um, ranks top 10 thought leadership every year for us. Uh, at the end of the year and mm. that's always quite interesting to look at because it does you know it re he really focuses in on the sort of more rigorous studies research efforts and what they've told us and why they've helped us rethink perhaps conventional wisdom and that's what i think the best research does yeah um, at the moment i think we're seeing just a little bit a little bit too much in terms of research studies telling us once again that brands need to take a stand etc oh it's definitely the thing of the moment isn't it mm, it is i'm getting a bit tired of purpose frankly but I... the perp wagon <laughs> the perp wagon mm. um yeah so that's gonna rumble on and on isn't it but yes it's been it's been busy and um we'll uh, we'll report back after dc because no doubt there'll be loads of great gossip coming out of provoke <laughs> but no irish dancing i can um... so not is there not? I think that should just be a prerequisite. For I think, every event. yeah, no, it's not happening over my, <laughs> over my dead body. <laughs> okay. And on, and on that note and that pledge, <laughs> thank you for joining me in the echo chamber today. Cool. Thanks very much. All right. So we're now joined by Paul Holmes on the echo chamber. Paul, how are you? It's been a while. Uh yeah, um, I'm good, thanks. Um, you know, as long as we can mix up the guests and uh, and keep finding interesting people, more interesting people, uh, I'm happy to sit on the sidelines until I'm needed. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I think 
we have had a lot of guests, it's true, but I think we've probably missed your um, insight into some of the big issues that have come out recently in the industry. Um, one of those, of course, is the latest leadership change at Hill & Knowlton Strategies, uh, on which you've written a, a very interesting analysis that's out today on the Holmes Report. Um, now, you're no stranger, I think, to leadership reshuffles at Hill & Knowlton. Oh, good Lord. Um, no, I have... Um... <laughs> I've lost count. And, um, you know, to a certain extent, it's easy to get into this rather jaded, uh, this one is the leadership change that will finally turn Hill and Alton around. Mm. Um, once you've written that story eight times, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's easy to become jaded and cynical and skeptical. Yeah. So by that token, are you saying that this one is not the leadership change that is going to that is going to turn Hill and Knowlton around, um, or perhaps, as I expect, it's you've taken a more nuanced view. Bearing in mind, I guess. Yes, I I, I hope it's a little more nuanced. Mm. Um, you know, I think it, it look several of those leadership changes, um, certainly at the regional level, have been written since Jack Martin took over as global CEO, mm -hmm. um, and I think. Occasionally, um, you know, one has looked at all of those changes and thought, geez, that's chaotic and a little random. Um, I do think in talking to Jack and some of the people around him that it's been more strategic than that, that um, he's been basically giving a lot of different people within that organization um, sink or swim opportunities. Mm -hmm. And two of the people who have obviously... Um, Swam are Lars Eric Gronton and Richard Miller in Europe, and um, you know you and I from our positions in London um, o over part of part or all of that time have had an opportunity to see just what a success they've made in in Europe, mm -hmm. um, and I think you know so much of our business is U.S. centric. Um, with some justification, because it is basically where, you know, a huge amount of PR revenue originates, mm -hmm. um, that those who are looking at Hill and Alton's continued um, struggles in North America, um, I think maybe maybe a little surprised to find that the firm is, you know, one of one of two or three real powerhouses in Europe. I mean, it's certainly top three and arguably top one in in the EMEA region now. Um, and so to a certain extent, taking the people who've made that happen um, and putting them into global roles makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I, I didn't really get into this in the analysis, but there are more Europeans um, succeeding in North America now than there were 10 years ago. Hmm. 10 years ago, you'd appointed at Paul Tafe from H&K and said, boy, bringing people from Europe to North America doesn't necessarily work the way you'd like it to. Hmm. But you have John Saunders doing a decent job at Fleischmann Hillard. You've got Karen Van Bergen now running all of Omnicom's PR operations. There are a few more Europeans mm -hmm. making it um, in, in North America at a global level. Yeah. These two are not going to move though, right? So I guess the big challenge for them remains the um, H&K US leadership position. Um, and as we noted uh, online, what is it? This is the sixth that they're going to be looking for in six years? Yeah. Um, th 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 those aren't the numbers, I think, that, that anyone really wants when it comes to leadership of what is still the most important region for a global PR network? No, I mean, I, I do think that um, this decision, which will be made, you know, uh, uh, based on my, my, my sources, you know, 
at, at the latest early in 2019 mm -hmm. um, is one that they actually have to get right now. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, that, that person will be um, a key addition to the leadership team that they announced this week. And, um, you know, they, they'll need, I think, to be receptive to some of the ideas coming out of Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, they're going to have to have a fairly keen sense of what what does and doesn't work in the North American market. Mm. Now, you in your analysis, you talked a little bit about the most recent occupant of the North American leadership role, Alex Jutkowitz. Uh, he came to H&K via the sale of his firm, um, SJR, which is a content creation firm which had done extremely well, I think it's probably fair to say, um, was seen as uh, quite a prize, I think, when, it, when WPP acquired it. Um, but his tenure at H&K hasn't uh, perhaps progressed as successfully as some people may have hoped how much of that do you think is down to him and how much is down to simply the circumstances he found himself in? Um, yeah, I think, I, I, I think obviously, um, as your question suggests, it's a mix of both. Um, some of it is that it's hugely difficult um, during an earnout mm. um, to focus on anything other than maximizing your, your legacy firm's um, financial success and that may not be entirely compatible with a leadership position in the larger agency um and uh, apologies for the dog <laughs> that's okay he's um, obviously got a lot to say about this story yes he feels very passionately <laughs> that announcer um announcer create uh, create all kinds of perverse incentives mm. um and and so that's that's obviously been a part of it um, but I do think Alex, I, look, I don't know him well, um, but based on everybody that I spoke to um, within H&K, um, Alex can be a little prickly um, mm. if he doesn't, um, if he doesn't consider you, a, he doesn't leave you in any doubt feels. And I think he felt that, you know, SJR was this um, modern um you know, innovative, forward-looking content creation shop, very digital, very social, very, um, you know, very sort of 2019 and beyond. Mm -hmm. And and Hill and Alton was a fairly stodgy, uh, bureaucratic, slow-moving, um, uh, very traditional and, and perhaps old-fashioned business. And I don't think, um, I don't think he hid that particularly mm -hmm. well. Some truth in that observation, I suspect. Yes, absolutely. Um, it sounds to me like it was probably a question of style, perhaps, rather than substance, when it came to. The, uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's probably fair. Yeah. Um, so they, Lars Eric and Richard Miller, uh, become global leaders. They, they're not really splitting the regions or anything like that. They do have um, specific areas of focus, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, sort of in 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 total shorthand, um, Lars Eric is really more corporate, and Richard is more consumer. Lars Eric is more operational, and Richard is more um, creativity and client relations. Right. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, um, as I think you noticed, you noted, sorry, in your um, analysis. Uh, you know, H&K has had quite a lot of change, um, a lot of restructuring, or how to put it, structuring and restructuring uh, in terms of how they have uh, shaped their kind of global footprint. They've had sub-regions, they've had regions, they've had markets <laughs> reporting into global. Um, so this is the latest chapter. Um, but I think probably this looks like the one that has the best chance for success that we've seen. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, um, I think, it, I, I mean, obviously, 
there's an attempt here to get the best of sort of continuity and heritage with genuine innovation. Um, and, um, you know, Lars Eric described it to me when I talked to him as radical evolution, which is, you know, part of my headline for the piece. Mm. Um, I, I think the, the question is how radical will it be? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I think it needs to be pretty radical in the US. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point because... I think sometimes we, I say we, people that are maybe in the media or observing or just in general, the kind of business observers uh, and maybe even the business community as a whole, we uh, overplay the value of radicalism. Is that a word? Um, That's the disruption. Disruption. And we underestimate the importance of continuity and stability in being able to drive change and I'm curious to know your thoughts on that because it's very clear I think that H&K is you know it's it's a big organization it's a little bit like a a tanker let's say and it's not going to miraculously morph into you know a speedboat It, it requires you know a huge amount of change management and maybe that does involve something that's more akin to evolution rather than revolution. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, I think, I think, you know, I think what it needs is steadiness and firmness and determination. And, um, and, and I think, I think it's easier to do when you have an understanding and appreciation of what, what's already there and what came before. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can do it in, in a circumstance where um, you you don't have respect for an understanding of yeah. the, the crew that you're leading, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, you may need to put some new people in new positions, though I think actually, you know, the, the sort of next level down, there are now plenty of decent people at Hill and Alton. You know, they they have um, a pretty good team in Marcoms, for example, which is not an area that um, was necessarily a strength four or five years ago. Mm. Um, I I just think um, I I just think you know the first thing you have to do to lead people is is build mutual trust and mutual respect right. and. Um, yeah. That 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 may be easier for somebody who comes out of the culture to do. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. But I suppose the risk, of course, is that um, you know insiders sometimes are, are less less willing to rock the boat. To, to, to take this analogy even further, um, and and that I suppose is the risk of 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 entrusting this kind of a, a, a change management job to people from from within the culture. Um, but, you know, yeah. the, their track record speaks for itself. Yeah, and I was going to say, that's, you know, I, I, raised that, I raised that issue when I was talking to the people involved and, and both, you know, that, that, that isn't the track record of Lars Eric and, and no. Richard in Europe. Um, they have replaced, I don't, I don't remember the exact number, but it's seven or eight market leaders. Um, yep. They've, it's a mix of people that they brought in from the outside and promotions for deserving internal candidates, mm. um, but they have not been—they've um, not been reluctant to to rock the boat where where you know the boat needed um, <laughs> needed to be freed from the swamp or whatever the analogy is, <laughs> as, as you say, as we go deeper and deeper into this. Wow, nice, deeper and deeper. I see what you did there. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So the next, uh, the other story I wanted to talk to you about, um, CNC Kext. Uh, it's so funny when you told me Kext and CNC were going to merge, I, I kind of just assumed they already had merged uh, and then realized actually they hadn't. It's just we had written about it five years ago or something that was likely to happen. Yeah. Uh, CNC had merged with Capital and then JKL. And I think we're working closely with with Keck. So this is not really a story that will surprise anyone. It's a, another merger, 
in, in a year full of mergers. This is really the year of the merger. Um, but to me, it kind of uh, almost provided a reminder, you know, as the broader industry, as we've seen, is sort of increasingly infatuated with, with consumer marketing budgets and with, you know, winning baubles at Cannes and um, these 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 apparently gargantuan marketing budgets, which are going to lead the PR industry to the promised land. Um, this kind of merger is almost a, a reminder of the enduring value of, you know, corporate uh, public relations and issues management at a time when those issues have you know, really never been more important. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that today more than perhaps more than ever, the specialist boutiques are the ones who are benefiting mm -hmm. from that, that focus, right? So, um, the high stakes, I mean, all the big agencies claim to do, and to a certain extent do, mm. um, high stakes, corporate reputation, issues management, public affairs, change management, all of those things. Financial. Um, but the, 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 the market is defined, I think, by... Brunswick, FTI, Finsbury, Kext, Abernathy, Saad, Joel Frank, mm -hmm. um, and their counterparts in global markets, Herring Schupener in Germany, Lorente Cuenca in the uh, Spanish-speaking world, um, you know, uh, Ad Factors in India, SPRG in Hong Kong, um, but you know those those firms that are resolutely focused on or you know, market leaders in their respective countries on corporate and financial. Mm. Does that suggest to you there's been something of an overcorrection in terms of, let's say, the global networks towards um, consumer marketing? Because the growth numbers suggest that uh, that focus is not necessarily paying off, or if it is, it's slower than many may have expected. Um, I think it's I think it's difficult to assess what's cause and what's effect. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, how much of this is um, that the the big agents, the full service agencies, are, are over indexed towards consumer marketing, mm -hmm. um, and how much of it is just that. Um, you know, the, the boutiques are very, very good and, and the big agencies, therefore, this is not an area where they can compete. Yeah. Um, and I think there are a couple of interesting things there. So I think, first of all, there has to be a question of whether, you know, the same people, is it, is it credible to say, you know, we're equally good at coming up with a big creative idea to help you sell more M&Ms? And we can also sit down with your CEO and help him through a major corporate transformation. Mm. And, um, you know, I think to a certain extent, you have to figure out which one of those you're best at. And mm. that's where you over index. Um, on the other hand, I've always thought that the talent question was huge here. So the... I think the corporate and financial business, particularly in the transactional arena, but but also in crisis and also to a certain extent in change, is um, as much about individuals as institutions. Mm -hmm. In other words, you want somebody who's been through this a hundred times before. You want George Saad or Joel Frank, or if it's Kex, Jeremy Fielding, um, you want that, you know, you want that individual. And those individuals are hugely expensive and difficult to maintain within um, a giant agency where, you know, while they may in fact be the most valuable person on the team, they're also the financial practice leader. Yeah. And, you know, therefore, there's a pressure to have them on a parity with the consumer practice leader or with the healthcare practice leader. And, and that's just not a reflection of how that business works. And, and companies like 
uh, Brunswick and FTI have a lot more freedom in terms of compensation than yeah. um, a Bursa Marstella or a Helen Alton would have. Yeah, I do think the networks, even if it's not a focus in terms of resourcing, certainly in terms of attention, uh, and, and perhaps fueled by you know the rise of digital um, and, and areas like influencer marketing and so on, I think that their attention has been captured far more by consumer marketing um, because sure. It's, it's, look, it's, it, it is bright and shiny yeah. and it's lots of revenue. Right. And, and the other thing is that it is more um, um, predictable revenue. It's mm. steadier revenue, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, the stuff that we're talking about in terms of change and transactions mm. is typically six months of frantic activity and yeah. then maintenance work. Yeah. Um, I'm probably oversimplifying a little. Um, and, you know, if you're a big publicly traded company, you want to go into next year with 90% of your revenue already b booked, right? Yeah. You, so you have a, a base to build on. Um, this, that, a lot of this business is not like that. I mean, I think um, all of the big players in this market have built now a fairly solid portfolio of ongoing reputation management, financial calendar work, that that mm. all of that stuff. Um, but it but it still can vary dramatically from month to month, depending on whether you know Monsanto is buying Bayer or mm. you know there's there's a big coming together in the corporate world or or some CEO is replaced unexpectedly. Um, and um, again, it's hard to do that within a, in a publicly traded environment. I think, yeah. or harder to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I think there's a lot of work that isn't always transaction based, as you as you mentioned. There's there's reputation management work. There's issues management work. Sometimes it isn't possible to plan for these things. But I do wonder if those skills have been marginalised a little bit in the networks, because I mean, even if you look at the networks, they're they're you know. There's at least two or three of them that are very corporate focused. Um, yeah. And there's yes, no but, reason for them to not be strong but, here. But then you'd also say that the two or three that are corporate focused have underperformed yeah. the five or six that are consumer focused, yeah. right? I mean, if, you know, I, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't downplay Weber Shandwick's corporate capabilities mm -hmm. um, at all. I actually think they're very, very good at that. Right. Um, you know, Edelman in corporate and public affairs is is a good agency, but there's no doubt that the real excitement at those agencies over the last ten years have been in the consumer space, digital, social content creation. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Whereas those that are identified more with the corporate sector mm. have seen relatively sluggish growth. Yeah. Fair point. Maybe we need to watch Conan Burson Conan Wolf because yeah, well, to a certain extent, to a certain extent, that's coming to the coming together of um, exactly those two extremes, right? Conan Wolf was a consumer business that was within the context of WPP setting the world on fire. Hmm. Um, Burson was a primarily corporate business that clearly was not. Yeah. Yeah, well, we will, and we are watching Person Conan Wolf very closely. So, and and this and and many other questions, of course, will be considered at our seventh Global Public Relations Summit next week. Provoke eighteen, Paul, in Washington D.C., which is shaping up to be our biggest summit yet. Um, got some really big names confirmed. What are you looking forward to? Um, <laughs> it being like, over. Yeah, I was going to say, don't say it. Yeah, <laughs> the conclusion. Um, no, I look. I think the I think the top of the agenda is um, 
you know, more exciting than it's ever been. And actually, you know, to, to sort of um, fit it thematically into what we've just been talking about, I think we have a really strong blend of corporate and consumer um, speakers and topics. Hmm. So, you know, I think anybody who's interested in the future of marketing will want to hear Mark Pritchard um, and Martin Sorrell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't imagine two more knowledgeable, um, more provocative um, speakers on sort of how PR fits into the future of marketing um, than those two guys. Um, and so I'm anticipating that both the Tuesday and Wednesday will kick off with um, some really stimulating stuff. Um, if you are more of a corporate focused person, um, you know, we've got Senator Mark Warner um, talking about um, fake news um, from his position on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, yeah. and in- got... Interestingly, you know, we couldn't uh, run a Facebook ad on his session. It was rejected. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's Which, interesting. I didn't realize. Nobody told me that. Yeah, well, I'm telling you now. It, it, it only just happened. Um, it was disapproved for being too political, which I thought was ironic that Facebook was shutting down an ad about a senator who's very, you know, focused on the fight against fake news. So I thought that was a little ir- ironic Yes, we should, we should certainly lead off the session with a question about that. Yeah, but apparently it's, it's, it was more down to the fact that they perhaps view me or view our, um, our social media team in the UK as a foreign agent. Ah, and, um, possible. Yeah, and so they're very careful about all that stuff. Um, right. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but, you know, we've, we've got the two senior people from the Washington Post, the, the uh, yeah. publisher and, and CEO and the executive editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, talking to them about some of the, the media challenges um, right now will, will be fascinating. Mm. Um, and one of the, the sessions that I'm really looking forward to um, is um, Sri Gauri Sawant, mm-hmm. who um, uh, will be, I believe, our first transgender speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an Indian transgender rights activist who many people will be familiar with uh, because she was featured in an ad for VIX mm-hmm. that has won awards around the world, mm-hmm. um, including our uh award in um in india earlier this year um and you know i i I think i think the 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 thing that stands out to me actually is um this event is bringing together people from pr and business and media and activism and politics um possibly to a greater extent than um, than we've been able to do in the past. I, I think the move to Washington mm. um, has been very helpful in that regard. Yeah, it has. Although it's a shame that we've left the St. Regis Bell Harbor, which... Um... It is. Um, though the Watergate um, mm. is not without its own charm and its own historical resonance. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to... Um, just sort yeah. of seeing how the feel of the event changes. Yeah, that's true. It will it will feel different, and maybe maybe not in a bad way actually, because you know Miami, Saint Regis, Bell Harbor, a bit more of a kind of resort type of feel to it. You know, Watergate. I feel like we're going to be plunged into the political maelstrom. And what is it? Just two weeks before the midterms. Um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I hope I uh, I hope we're we're uh, better at predicting the outcome of the midterms than provoke sixteen was uh, because that came two weeks before the seismic shock of uh, Donald Trump victory and I think we had one speaker there who predicted that was that Frank Luntz or I no I... Um, Chris Lewis had brought oh. in um, Pippa Pippa Malmgren. Right, 
and uh, and yeah. Pippa was the one person who um, seemed convinced that Trump was going to pull it out. Mm. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, the other thing I just point out about Provoke 18, we've got a number of um, big names from the in-house world who maybe haven't had the kind of attention we've lavished on you know some of these bigger names in some respects from the political and media worlds. But, you know, we have marketing and comms leaders from um, Aflac, uh, Chief Brand and Comms Officer Catherine Hernandez-Blades. We've got David Kamenetsky, Chief Strategy Officer AB InBev, Maggie Fitzpatrick from Exelon, Digital Head from Goldman Sachs, and also leaders from IHG, Levi, Mubadala, Nestle, P&G, as you said, Pfizer, PMI, Salesforce, uh, and World Bank, um, and more. So it really is a uh, quite an impressive lineup. And we have more than 300, uh, I think we're almost at 350 now in terms of uh, attendees. So should be fun. I'll see you there. Yeah. Um, no, I'm very, very much looking forward to it. I mean, our, you know, our team's worked very hard. Our, our sponsors and partners have worked very hard. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah. I I think it'll be a be a big event, and I I think we have people from somewhere like thirty five or forty countries registered, which is always nice. You know, yeah. I, I I do occasionally go to global events where you know ninety percent of the attendees are from one market. So only in America, um, I, yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, but I, you know, but I do think I, I do think it's a, you know, it's a genuinely global event, and it's uh, bringing the industry together, and it's bringing the industry together with um, a lot of the people that we interact with on a daily basis. So cool, and, and I'm sure the content will be terrific. I will see you there. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it, that's the other great thing about it, of course, is that it's one of the few times when the entire Holmes Report team is together in one place, you know, yeah. so... All 11 of uh, us. Oh, uh, is it? <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, anyway, there's 11 now. So I'll see you there. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. See you soon. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.